Well, uh, it is my absolute honor and privilege to welcome you if you're here for the first time or, or you're, you, know, you come here often. We are so blessed that you put the time uh, every Sunday to be with us. Uh, we don't take it for granted. I personally don't take it for granted that I get the opportunity and the privilege to share with you. Thank you for sharing the journey. May God use this time that we spend together to bless and encourage us. Today is our second installment in, in the series, The Olympian. And in this entire series of four weeks, which I'll continue uh, next Sunday night and the, and the following Sunday night, we're looking at one simple notion of how do we become not just dreamers, but actual Olympians. How do we accomplish the dreams that God places in our lives? Because you know this by intuition, uh, that not every person that dreams to be an Olympian becomes an Olympian. But every Olympian has at one stage or another, dreamt of becoming an Olympian. It all starts with a dream. But how come some people dream and reach their destiny while others falter and quit in the process? That's exactly why we're looking at, uh, at this whole series of giving some strategies and biblical uh, insights on how do we, mere ordinary individuals, reach the destiny that God has placed in our lives. And last week we looked at the first strategy or the first principle and we said for you to accomplish the dream, you need to use your vision, you need to use your sight, you need to see what's on the inside of you before it translates on something on the outside of you. And we said it in this way, we said champions see something within before they do something with or without. You know, you've got to see who you are from within before you decide what you're going to do and what you're going to do without in life. And it's a, a biblical concept that spans all generations. God attempted to say to you and to me throughout the, the, the pages of history that what you see on the inside will greatly influence who you become on the outside. But you also know that dreaming and seeing something on the inside doesn't necessarily change what you become on the outside by itself. And that's why in this week, we're looking at the hands. And we're looking at what you actually do in order to accomplish your God-given dream. Because every Olympian is a hard worker. Not every hard worker is an Olympian, but every Olympian is a hard worker. There is no lazy Olympians. There is no lazy champions. There is no one accomplishes anything significantly by sitting on their backside and hoping for the best. And that's not just a thing to do with training. Of course it does with training. You know, they look after what they eat, how they train. Uh, you know, their schedule is, is crazy rigorous. But it also involves not just trainings in life, but the trials of life. The reality is every single person that accomplished anything of significance had to endure hardship and challenges. You know, we try to run away from challenges and hardship and adversities, hoping that we will accomplish our dreams faster. The reality is without going through those trainings and trials of life, there is no way we will accomplish the God-given dream. You probably heard stories one after another or maybe read stories of Olympians that, that, that struggled through abuse, struggled through illnesses or accidents, just as we've seen on the video. One of the stories that, 
that really inspires me of a, of a, of a, of a person known as Yolanda Bukasa from the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, uh, this particular Olympian experienced such incredible hardship. Her, uh, her part of, of the city where she lived was hit brutally with the civil war from 1998 to 2003. And as a result, she actually was uh, taken away from or lost her family, family members and was living alone as a kid. She was put in a, display, a, display, in a center for displaced children in the uh, uh, Kinshasa, in the area uh, there. And uh, in that place, she realized that she got to do something differently than wail and whine and live as a victim. And she took on judo as a, as a way of inspiring herself to the next level. And she says this, she said that judo didn't give me money, but it gave me a strong heart. It didn't give me money, but gave me a strong heart. Because let me tell you something, without that strong heart, without that inner resilient mental strength without the inner character nobody accomplishes anything you know they say that it's part of it talent but the majority of it is that perseverance that comes from the inside out not from the outside in so people don't just endure trainings and trials for the sake of improving the external abilities but they endure trainings and trials in order to change who they are from the inside which in turns determine what they achieve on the outside let me put it this way i want to say i want to put this to you and i hope that it actually echoes in your own experience that your response my response to the training and trials of life determine our response determines our inner being and hence our destiny. Our response, not what happens to us, but how we relate to that. Our response to the trainings and the trials of life will ultimately determine your inner life, your inner being, your emotional health, your, men your mental strength, and hence your success or otherwise in your dream. Friends, it's not just about trying harder. It's about being different from the inside. And that's why we're investing the time today. Not only to look at what we do with our hands uh, uh, externally, but what we do internally to be the type of people that God entrusts us with the destiny that he has placed in our hearts. You see, your response to the trainings and the trials of life, often, more often than not, already inside of you as a pattern. You see, psychologists will tell us that we have a familiar state of being, especially when you're faced with difficulties, challenges, or whatever adversities that you and I experience, sometimes big, sometimes small. But our responses are quite often are a, 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 an automatic pattern of a familiar state in our being. So some of us are the, uh, you know, use the part of us that is the protector. So we fight. It's, a, it's an immediate response of, uh, you, you know, the, to the trial of life or the challenges that you fight hard, that you seek justice, that, you know, you go over and above. I want to make it happen the right way. 
But also there's some of us, our pattern, our familiar state is the harmonizer. It's saying, just, just, just shut up. Just let it go, you know. Just sit on it. Whatever happens, happens, you know. You under, uh, underwhelm yourself with the whole capacity of making sure everybody is happy and everything is okay, even if you suffer the consequences and even if it's not right. But for others of us, we'll look, have a part of us, a familiar state of quitting. You know, this is too hard. I'm going to try something else. It's not worth it. I'm going to try something else. So to recreate a pattern inside of you, to recreate a mental capacity, an emotion and a character that perseveres in the midst of the challenges of life, that, friends, needs effort. And let me just give you a, a, a little bit of a... Um, you know, what we call it, you know, uh, maybe a, a counseling session. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to limit it to a minute and a half, okay? Let me tell you something off my chest. Somehow, somehow our Western Christianity has divorced grace from works. And that is absolutely unbiblical. Just because God saved you doesn't mean He wants you to live like a kid for the rest of your life, just receiving the blessings of God and doing something about nothing about it. That's not correct theology. Don't mix them together. You can't divorce your grace, receiving God's favor over your life in Jesus Christ, and actually doing something about it. It says that grace of God, in Titus it tells us the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to say no to ungodliness. You have to say no when you need to say no, even if it's hard. The scripture tells us you did not struggle against sin up till death. That means you give it your best. Friends, I am fired up about a group of Christians that don't divorce grace from works, that don't divorce receiving God's blessing and living like a little Jesus in the world. We are called to be a Jesus. We're not called to be mediocre Christians. We're not called to be consumer Christians. We're not called to be spoiled Christians. We're called to be the very heart and very hand and very presence of Jesus everywhere we go. Enough with trying to manipulate theology so that we do nothing and become passive Christians and say, I'm saved, brother. Good on you. But rather than God doesn't, yes, absolutely. Rather than God wanting you to meet him in heaven, he wants you to be like him on earth. And that is greater, in my opinion, that you will be like the most incredible, incredible person that ever walked the universe. God Almighty lives inside of you. You know what I love about Peter? In 2 Peter chapter 1, he mingles those two things so beautifully. So it was going to blow your mind. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says this. Now I'm going to calm down, all right? I got it out of my chest. Don't write me emails. Triple zero will be your, your best reference. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So that through them, he's speaking about the promises. Through them you may what? Participate in divine nature. Friends, you and I, I pray to Almighty God that he would reveal this to you and me today in a new and a fresh way. Because this is a game changer. That you have divine nature on the inside of you. Yes, you have your human nature, but you have divine nature. You have God Almighty with all His majesty and power and wisdom and knowledge and peace and joy. All of that Almighty God, it chooses to make resonant in you. You have divine nature. And He says, look at this. This is crazy good. 
I don't know why we ignore half the scripture. It says, for this very reason. Since you see on the inside of you that you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Father resides in you because of this. Because you've seen yourself differently. Because you've seen a divine nature on the inside of you. Because of that reason, make, can you say it with me, please? I'll give you five dollars. No, no, uh, say it with me. Make every effort. One more time, as if you believe it. Make Make every effort. Make every effort. If all that you get out of today is this piece of scripture, make every effort. It will change my life. It will change your life if we take it to heart. Make every effort, not some effort. In fact, this particular word, it speaks of a beneficiary that gives everything out. It's, it's like your life depends on it. Give, 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 give everything that you have. Make every effort. What make every effort to what? To add to your faith. Oh, well, we don't believe that we can add to anything. You know, what are you talking about? That's Peter speaking, not me. Add to your faith goodness, which is a general uh, term of excellence, some, something that reaches its purpose. And to goodness knowledge, which is intimacy with God. It's about a, a male and a female, a husband and a wife know each other. That's the type of knowledge, not head knowledge, experiential knowledge, intimacy. Add to your, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge, uh, let's go to the next bit. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. And I just want to focus on that part for now. He says that you need to make every effort that you would have an inner world that is characterized by self-control, which we said that means uh, dealing with the pleasures of life. And to self-control perseverance, and that means to deal with the pressures of life. And to perseverance godliness, that means God-like nature from the inside. God wants to build your inner being if you're ever going to be like Jesus as a dream that nobody else would refuse. He wants us to put every effort so that our inner being responds in a way that it changes our reactions to the trials and the trainings of life. So how can we? How can we build the inner being? How can we build the inner character? How can we build the inner resilience? How do we endure in life? How can, it's, it's hard. You know, say, you know, I don't want to do it. It doesn't feel good. It, 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 it's not comfortable. I don't even understand what it's doing to me. I can't see the results of it. So how do we build the inner character? How do we endure the trainings and the trials of life so that we can become the type of people that can, God can entrust us with his dreams? I want to return to the story of Joseph that we began last week. And I believe his remarkable story would give us at least some insights today that may be used by God in the power of the Spirit to enable you to endure life challenges and pressures in a way that makes you a dreamer that accomplishes the dream. Just like Joseph. Because he's the most remarkable person. He's probably got the longest narrative in, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 37 and then from 39 to 50. He's like, is, is, is an unbelievable character symbolizing what it's like to be like Jesus before Jesus came so that we can be like Jesus after Jesus has come. And as we said that his family was a pretty, uh, you know, broken family. Father had four wives and, 
and 12 children and, 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 and a daughter and, and his brothers didn't like him. They hated his guts because he had a dream and his father favored him. So they did everything they, they can in order to try to kill him and demolish his dream. And uh, they, once he went to visit them, uh, based on his father's direction, uh, they saw him, they hated him, they wanted to kill him, they chucked him in a pit, and, and then they wanted, obviously, to see him dead. But this is what happens. A kind person, so to speak, uh, of his brothers, his name is Judah, which is, uh, you know, is like the third uh, brother that, uh, you know, in that family, in, in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 26, it says this. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother, that's Joseph, and cover up his blood? Come and let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. How, how generous is that? You know? He's very kind. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, his brother's agreed good on them so when the midnight's merchants came by his brothers pulled joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver the ishmaelites who took him to egypt this is a person that is experiencing life pressures out of this world this is off the chart adversary this is off the charts problems that you and I are not likely to encounter in our lives. So how does this kid, 17 years of age, endure such trials in life and come out better off than he's ever been before? This is what we're going to look at. But before we go there, guess at the end of, of chapter 37, when we leave, it says in verse 36, it says, Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Look at the next verse. I, I, I think this will baffle you. The next verse, so we're here with Joseph in the middle of the drama, looking at what's going to happen to him. And the next verse, it says, at that time, Judah. No, 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 you make a mistake. This should be Joseph. No, 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 Judah left his brothers. No, 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 it's Joseph that left his brothers. No, no, it's Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira, there Judah met with daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. He married her and lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. And then it goes on to say, Judah, in verse 6, got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. If you're a child, don't expect your parents to find you a wife. Yeah, you can do your own these days. That, that was back then. He got him a wife. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So look at what God did. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty. There was a, a custom where if someone lost his, uh, if, if, if a lady lost her husband, the brother-in-law would, would, um, would sleep with her and, and, and the child that comes out of that relationship would become the child of that woman because the worst thing that could happen to a female in that era to be widow and childish, uh, childless. It would be horrible, no living. She, she'll have no livelihood at all after that. 
But this person was so selfish that he wouldn't give his, his uh, sister-in-law uh, you know, what she, she needs in order to conceive, but he would enjoy the pleasures. So what he did was so wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. God was not mucking around. So in verse 11, it says, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son Sheila grows up. For he thought, see, here's the truth. For he thought he may die too, that his third child will might, might die too, just like his brothers. Isn't that freaky? What Judah did for any parent will be what feels right. He had the first child die. The second child that was meant to do the right thing got killed. And he says about the third child, no, I'm not that stupid. I'm not going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what feels right. I'm not going to do what's right. I'm going to do what feels right. And here, friends, is the ultimate dilemma. The question that we all answer every time we're going through the trials and the trainings of life. And somehow, the enemy strict you and the enemy strict me to say what's right is what feels right. That is not true. Because according to this story, Judah did what feels right and protected his child from the responsibility that is customary he must should have done. Because it didn't feel right. And people say, why is this story mingled there in the middle of all the other stories? And I don't know all the, uh, the, the reasons and the rationales and, and all the interpretation behind it. But one thing that speaks to me is that Judah was meant to be the goody-goody. He's the one that said, we don't want to kill Joseph. We just want to sell him as a slave and make some money out of him. So he was almost like the best of the brothers in, represented in Judah and the best of Joseph to come in the next chapter. And God is saying, I want to tell you something. The destiny of each individual, it will be determined by their inner character and their inner character will be determined by their endurance and perseverance and their perseverance will be absolutely determined by answering that question, what's right versus what feels right. Not to mention that later on Judah loses his wife and he's feeling the grief. And guess what? In order to, the pattern of getting out of that, he goes to a party, so to speak, to a festival. And he sees a heartlet by the side of the road. He sleeps with her and she conceives. But then at the same time, three months later or so, he discovers that the widow, uh, his son's widow, Tamar, is also pregnant. And he says, kill that woman. She's done the wrong thing. You know, she's done the wrong thing. Kill her. So she says, just before you kill me, just tell, uh, uh, tell Judah that the person that got me pregnant is this guy that, that left this stuff with me. And it was Judah himself who had committed adultery with that woman. He did what it feels right whilst he demanded that Tamar does what is right. Isn't that funny? We want other people to do what's right when we allow ourselves to do what feels right. But look at Joseph. I want to show you three pieces of scripture about Joseph that would absolutely bless your socks off to know how you and I can not only do what feels right, but what is truly right in the eyes of our Lord. And that takes us to chapter 39. 
And I'm going to read you just several verses today before we finish off. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. So it's taken the last bit of chapter 37. And here he's returning back to the narrative. It says, now Joseph had been drawn to Egypt. Um, sorry, down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's official, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelite who had taken him there. Isn't it amazing that out of all the people in, the, in Egypt that could have purchased Joseph, God's sovereignty intervene, intervenes and he sells him to the one person that is of the highest esteem. He was like top notch with Pharaoh. Isn't God amazing in the midst of our adversaries that he connects the dots so that one day that, that Joseph will become an administrator knowing what it's like to be in the highest courts of Pharaoh. God is behind everything if you submit your life to him. Because if you're a slave, here Joseph was a slave involuntarily. But Jesus was a servant voluntarily. If you're going to be like Jesus, you got to be a person that endures not only hardship, but has an attitude of servant, servant in the midst of this hardship. You see, uh, a guy I love deeply, I was listening to him the other day, his name is Chuck, uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and he said this, this uh, uh, statement that impacted his life when he was quite a young fella. He said, uh, one person said to him that when God has an impossible task, he finds an impossible person and breaks it. When God has an impossible task to do, he finds the most improbable person, the most impossible person, and breaks them so they can be used for God. And God needed to break Joseph, friends. He was the arrogant fellow, 17 years old, that thought the world would bow to him. Like he said his dream once to his brothers that you guys are going to come and you're going you're gonna to bow before me, and, and, and it didn't turn out well. But see, he's very smart. He goes and tells him another dream. It's like, what's going on with you, bro? He wants to prove his capabilities. He was insecure human being. That all he cared about, you know, I've got the long sleeve top. I'm the supervisor. I get things, you know, to me on silver platter. God had to break him in order to use him mightily. If you're being broken, God hasn't de derailed your destiny. He's driving you forward. If you're not broken, friends, I'm telling you, if you're not broken, you're not still usable. Until you recognize how broken you are through training or through trials of life, there is no way you're going to be usable for God. It, it, Warren Wisby says this amazing quote. He says that we're never too small for God to use, but often we're too big. <laughs> You can be too big for God to use you, but you can't be too small for God to use you. If you're messed up, if you've got a messed up family, just like Joseph had a messed up family, you're on God's radar. If you've got a messed up past, Joseph had a messed up past. If you've got a messed up capacity, people had messed up capacities. God says that I use the non-existent non people, the weak, the, the foolish, to put to shame those who are wise and those who are something. Friends, God is not derailing your dreams and destiny because you're broken. In fact, he's driving you forward. And look how Joseph responded to that. If he was a teenager in our days, he would be the best case study 
for a psychologist in post-traumatic uh, disorder, wouldn't he? Like, he, he deserves to see a psychologist. This guy, he shouldn't even pay for it. You know, he, he's hard done by. None of us experience such hatred. His brothers assault him, yet they're enjoying their dad's family. They're having the food that they want. They're sleeping in their own beds. They're experiencing the surrounding. They're they, they on cloud nine. And the guy that used to irritate them is now out of their life. What more could they want? But they're living with a guilt that you and I never want to be in. Because it's the inner life that matters. Not just the exterior. Look what, what, what happens to three principles from Joseph. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And then in verse 3 it says, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. And it keeps saying it over and over and all, that the Lord was with Joseph. The first principle that you and I need to know in the midst of the trials and the trainings of life, in the midst of challenges and adversaries, you need to know that God is with you. This is, uh, most scholars say, this is the main point in the story, other than two other occurrences later on. It says this is the main point in Joseph's story where it says Yahweh was with him. It says in the most uncertain times of his life, when he was at a fork road, where he could quit, where could he kill himself, he says that Yahweh was with him. And this is what the narrator wanted to say to the people of God, that in the most difficult times in your life, when the adversities and the challenges of life come at you like a wave that will drown you, you need to know that God, Yahweh, Almighty God, is with you. People may not be with you. Your brothers may be you know, saying the worst things about you. People may, may attempt to kill your dream. And people may have networks enough to stuff your dreams. But no one is needed when God is with you. If the Lord is with us, if the Lord is for us, Friends, you need to remind yourself in the midst of every adversary. I need to remind myself in the midst of adversary. The first thing is God is with you. He promised that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That means even when you have stuffed up, he will never leave. It's written in Micah, I think, 7, 8. It says that if I fall, I will arise. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. If I fall, I will arise. And look at this amazing scripture. It says, and if I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. That means even if I intentionally stuffing up and I, am, I deserve to be in that darkness, the Lord is not far away. His light is there. God is with you in the midst of the challenges of life. Look at the second thing it says. It said, the Lord was with Joseph. And he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. And a literal translation, the Lord gave him success in everything he did with his hands. Everything that his hand touched, the Lord prospered. Everything his hand touched, the Lord brought in supernatural blessing. Everything that his hand touched, the Lord absolutely favored and blessed and honored. Friends, you need to know this, that God is for you, not just with you. 
God is for you. If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? We imagine that people have authority over our destiny. That is absolutely unbiblical. You think circumstances of life have authority over your destiny. You think your own stuff up has authority over your destiny. You need to know that the Lord is for you. The Lord is for you. And you know what's amazing? Most scholars tell us that this scripture uses the participle. You know what it's strong to say? That there is a pattern of success. How cool is that? That God is saying that there is a pattern of prospering that Joseph experienced. Do you recall our patterns when we face the challenges and the trials of life? When we face even the trainings that are strenuous? Your pattern needs to understand that God's pattern for you is to success, to prosper. God is not there to harm you, but to give you a future and a heart. God is not there to defeat you. He says that we're not the heads but the tails. God is for you. And his pattern for you internally and mentally is a pattern of can do. A pattern of success in Jesus. You know the problem is we give up because, not because we tried and failed. We haven't even tried. We just give up because we think we're failures. You know, Joseph could say, what hope have I got? When I had it all under my hand, I stuffed it up. I'm hated, I'm rejected, I'm a slave, I'm, I'm, I'm no good. But he recognized that there is a pattern that is available for his intern, internal being. And it's a pattern of knowing that because God is for me, not because I'm good, but because God is for me, he gave us not a spirit of timidity or failure. I'd love to, to whisper that in your ear today. That God doesn't want you to have a pattern of defeat. Because you would give up before you even try. The last thing that I want to share with you. It says, Joseph found favor in the eyes of Potiphar and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord, look at this crazy thing. It says, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. And you would notice the word that is used in, in Hebrew to mean everything, everything, everything. You know, God blessed everything. Potiphar trusted with everything. Joseph had everything. It's, it's an all-consuming completeness. You know what I want to tell you? That not only God is with you, not only God is for you, but friend, please remember that God is in you. You have access to everything that you need to lead a godly life. Jesus, by His Spirit, resides in you. You know, just the past few days, I, I was, I'm reading in my quiet time, and I promise I never preach from my quiet time, but I just want to share this example. 
on, on an every day, I, I'm reading from the book of John and, and being confronted with the idea that the Holy Spirit of God is inside of me. And then it came to the point where Jesus said to his disciples, I give you peace. But then he says, the next verse is, my peace, my peace I give to you. And, and I thought about it, I said, if Jesus is inside of me, he always had peace. He had peace when the workload was crazy. He had peace when the opposition was un, 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 uh, um, uh, unavoidable. He had peace when betrayal was ridiculous in his life. He had peace. Yet that same peace that resided in him resides in me because he is in me. And God was convicting me, Peter, you don't need peace. You need to access my peace. You need to access what's inside of you because you have power. Power to influence a pagan community. You know, Joseph was one versus the entire nation. Egyptians didn't, you know, go to the temple and worship Yahweh. There were 2,000 gods, estimated 2,000 gods in pagan Egypt. They were all against him. You know, you think you're, you're, you're poor person in your work environment, you only have one single believer, you know, or you only have, you know, people that are, uh, most of them are threatening, but some, two or three are acceptable of your faith. You know, Joseph in the entire country had nothing, but he had power. He had no one, but he had God. And his witness, his life, it changed the way Potiphar viewed divinity. It's written that Potiphar, the pagan guy, recognized that Yahweh. How on earth did he figure out that Yahweh even exists if it wasn't for the power of Joseph, that he exemplified to them what it's like to be a person that reveals Yahweh on day-to-day -day operations. People are desperate, 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 not for the creed of Jesus. They don't need to hear about Yahweh. They need to see Him embodied in your life. And you have the power. He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness because we participate in divine nature. You have Him. So next time you have a problem, or maybe right now, when you have adversity and difficulty. I want to say to you, champions, do what's right. Not just what feels right. It champions, do what is right, not what feels right. And you can do that in the midst of whatever challenges, whether that's training, where you're trying to, to, to be trained to be a man and a woman of God according to his own heart, or whether that's the trials of life that he's experiencing, adversities, hardship, and difficulties. Don't talk to people about it. That's secondary. Go to God first. Oh, it's my heart's desire that you would remember that God Almighty is with you, that God Almighty is for you, and that God Almighty is in you. And hence, you can experience His presence. You can experience His prosperity. And you can experience His power. Regardless what experience is right now. Because people will be against you. I can guarantee you that. Circumstances will not be favorable if you're doing God's work. In fact, the enemy will fire up against you. And you have the option of doing what feels right. Quitting, doing the bare minimum, looking after your own comfort. Oh, Lord. Oh, you do what is right by God and make every effort to 
endure because God himself is inside of you. You don't have to do it on your own. We're going to pray. Actually, we're going to sing a song. We're going to say, even when my strength is failing, God is there for you. And after that song, I'm going to pray for you. I know some of us, even here today, are going through adversity and difficulties. And I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you walk out of here knowing the nearness of your death. No weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. No weapon. Not from people who are near, not from people who are far, not from the enemy himself. For the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man in Jesus' name. Let's be upstanding. Thank you. your holy name we honor the name of Jesus the name above all names you are our stronghold you are our refuge you reside inside of us the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us father what could stand against us if only we see that we participate in divine nature? 
that don't, we don't only have you with us. We don't only have you for us. We have you in us. We have access to wisdom and knowledge and resilience and capacity and power and influence and peace and joy. And I pray over my brothers and sisters in this place that we would access your presence inside of us and your power inside of us and we would develop a mental attitude that believes that you are for us to prosper us not to harm us to give us a a future and a hope so i pray supernaturally father in the name of jesus would you overlook my weaknesses my god but in the name of jesus right here and right now and because of the blood of jesus that you would come supernaturally and that you would destroy every stronghold in the name of jesus anything that stands against your people from prospering everything that stands against your people from enduring anything that stands against your people in terms of living for you wholeheartedly and seeing a jesus likeness like they've never had before I pray over every wicked plan and every wicked scheme that the enemy is attempted to put against your people through circumstances or even through people around them to trap them, trip them, and to destroy them. Father, you break that in the name of Jesus and that you would set your people free and that we would be like Joseph, people that prosper in the name of Jesus, people that live our destiny, people that that endure whatever comes our way so that the name and the honor of Jesus may be displayed in our bodies. If you feel comfortable, if you would stretch your hand, I'm going to ask the team, in the background to say that little bit again when my strength is failing. Would you call upon God? Would I just want to do church, people? Would I just want to do church and go like we've come back? We want you to encounter the power of God Almighty. Would you stretch out your hand and call upon God in whatever area that you need His help, that you may access what you have on the inside? Stretch out your hand. For the teenager that has been troubled at school, who's got things that being said about them, things that are troubling them from the inside about who they are, I pray freedom in the name of Jesus right here and right now. I pray for the young adult that has been trapped by whatever external fun and games that are happening and utilizing things that you know 
are not helpful, helpful for them in order to feel good about themselves and endure the challenges of life. I pray freedom in the name of Jesus. And for the couples, for the people who have once upon a time enjoyed an incredible marriage together, yet they're going through a tough time at the moment and they're doing things behind the scene to bring happiness once again. I pray in the name of Jesus, freedom in the name of Jesus right here and right now. I pray for people who are struggling with whatever going on in their family, extended or immediate family, and the enemy is put it in their mind that it's their fault and they are doomed for failure. I pray, Father, that you break that pattern in the name of Jesus. Lord, for the rest of us who have given up on the fact that we can be like Jesus in this world, would you empower us again by the power of your Spirit to live the reality of God Almighty in us? Ah, oh, Lord, the world is looking forward to an army of God lovers who would live not just with Jesus, but through Jesus. And we may be your people. Would you energize us? Would you bring revival to us? Would you change us that the community may be changed through us? We love you and we honor you and we're so desperate for your move amongst us. It's so hard, Father, to let go of the opportunity that we have to just be with you. So help us to remain. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here.